This podcast is brought to you by the IIEA, the Institute of International and European Affairs. Join the discussion on IIEA.com and access our engaging videos, blogs and podcasts. Okay, good afternoon, everybody. You're very welcome to our latest uh, webinar at the IAEA this lunchtime. Uh, we have a very uh, timely session uh, uh, turning our attention this afternoon to uh, the transatlantic alliance, the relationship uh, between Europe and the United States. My name is Michael Collins, and I'm the Director General here at the Institute of International and European Affairs, the IIEA, here in Dublin. And we're absolutely delighted to be today uh, to be joined uh, from Warsaw by um, Radek Sikorsky to share his expert views on the future of the Transatlantic Alliance uh, from a European Parliament perspective. If I might just introduce uh, Mr. Sikorsky, Radek Sikorsky became an MEP in May 2019 and currently serves as chair of the Parliament's uh, delegation for relations with the United States. He previously served as Marshal or Speaker of the Polish Parliament, the Parliament in, in, in Poland from 2014 to 2015, was Minister for Foreign Affairs of Poland for, from 2007 to 2014, and Minister for National Defence from 2005 to 2007. So he's somebody with a very deep experience in Polish as well as European and international politics. He graduated from Oxford with a BA and an MA in politics, philosophy and economics, and he's a distinguished thought leader and is the author of several books and a regular commentator on international affairs. He previously served as a senior fellow at Harvard University Center for European Studies. Before I hand the floor over to Radek, uh, just a couple of housekeeping issues of points, if I may. This full event is on the record, uh, the initial presentation and the Q&A session that will follow. You can join the discussion using the Zoom dedicated uh, Q&A function in the usual way, which I'm sure everybody is now very familiar with. And I would encourage you to submit your questions uh, at any stage, but indeed also throughout the session as they occur to you. Please identify yourself when submitting your question, your name and your affiliation, if applicable. Lastly, we encourage you to join the conversation uh, on Twitter using the handle at IIEA. So with that, a very, very warm welcome to you, Radek. Uh, welcome virtually, at least, to the IIEA. We wish you were here in person, uh, but that's, of course, not possible at the moment. But the warmest of welcomes to you. The floor is yours. Thank you very much. Delighted and honoured to have been invited. And uh, what a pleasure to talk to you in Dublin, in Ireland, where so many of my compatriots have found, found a welcoming home. I'm so glad that the presence of Poles has not um, uh, inspired you to leave the European Union like some other, uh, like some other places. Um, and I hope they are making a, a good contribution to your society and to your economy. We are living in bizarre times. Um, uh, let me just start by saying that we seem to be at the crunch point of Brexit, which I know is in the center of your attention, because Ireland will be the country most affected by the shape that Brexit takes or doesn't. But uh, on the positive side, let me say at, that at least from my point of view, a practitioner of um, foreign affairs, I cannot recall a time in the past at which Ireland, both on the continent of Europe and in Washington, was in fact more influential than the United Kingdom. 
um, by being a member of, uh, of the EU, you get the solidarity of other members. And as we know, uh, the US Congress has signaled that um, uh, the hope for a trade deal with the US is, uh, is contingent on, um, uh, on policy that is conducive to preserving uh, peace on the island, and we all know what that means. So you are a very important part of the relationship between Europe and the United States because um, your uh, diaspora in the United States is at least as influential and, and, um, and probably even more numerous than the Polish one. Um, the fact that the uh, delegation for relations between the EU and the United States is the most numerous delegation in the European Parliament tells you something, namely that the greatest number of MEPs still regard this as the most relation, important relationship that Europe has with external uh, power centers, which is hardly surprising. There is the greatest uh, amount of trade, the greatest amount of uh, cross-investment, and at least until recently, it, uh, we all thought that we also shared values. Uh, values that helped us uh, help you in the West win in the Cold War and helped us in the East to uh, survive and, and be liberated um, uh, to join the, uh, the Western family of nations. Um, this is uh, in question now because uh, we have the U.S., reverting to a noisy nationalism and a noisy isolationism that has its roots deep in US history, but is not, but is not uh, what we've been um, accustomed to over the last several decades. Um, I think this will change because it looks like uh, Joe Biden uh, is, um, uh, is uh, getting going for victory but it should teach us a thing or two. Namely, first of all, that the US is really tired of allowing us in Europe to free ride on the US security guarantee. And we may not like the way that President Trump expressed it, but he was telling us something that is uh, a matter of consensus in the US. Uh, namely that we should spend more on, on defense. And I can't even blame him on, for the way he's done it because when his predecessors did, did it politely, it didn't work. And of course, I know that Ireland is a, is a neutral country and you, uh, you are not a member of NATO, but, um, but I think it's part of the uh, relationship. Um, uh, that I hope um, we will mend starting not just in January, but even earlier. Now, I still believe that there are things that we can usefully do together. Uh, deterring uh, a Russia that um, changes borders in Europe by force seemed until recently the highest order task that we have in common and that we Europeans can't do on ourselves. 
But reality has leapfrogged uh, this issue, and I believe that the overriding issue of the, of the geostrategy of the 21st century is the way in which the United States will or will not uh, successfully manage its, its struggle for primacy with China. And we've all probably read, I hope, if you haven't, do, um, uh, the book by my um, uh, Harvard colleague, Graham Allison, on the Thucydides trap. And I'm afraid it's very uh, persuasive because, uh, uh, because there is a problem in, in the Far East, namely that what China feels entitled to, which is uh, what they call reunification with Taiwan and, and, a, and a ring of friendly states that recognize Chinese superiority not only culturally, but also uh, economically and militarily. This concept is in direct contradiction with the American system of alliances. And so addressing your question, whether Europe uh, can have a geopolitical role, we cannot ignore this. If we don't have a role in this, we don't have a role because this is going to be the organizing principle of 21st century strategy. And, and on this, US and European interests converge, but are not identical, because those allies of the United States are friendly countries, fellow democracies, such as Japan, such as South Korea, Taiwan, obviously, uh, Philippines, Indonesia, India, but they are not military allies of, of the European Union uh, or, 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 not, or, or any single European state. And this has consequences. Um, I have just uh, written uh, a draft uh, proposal for the party in the European Parliament uh, in which I, from which I sit, the uh, European People's Party, the ruling party. Uh, in the European Union, uh, proposing EPP's policy towards China. And the big idea is the following, that we should collaborate with the United States on those, on the majority of things that we agree on, such as reciprocal access of our companies to each other's markets, such as ending the um, um, intellectual property theft and the forced um, uh, joint ventures, such as screening technology transfers and both outgoing and incoming uh, investments, uh, such as um, uh, having a uh, platform for 5G that is not intrusive and doesn't give undue advantage to one side such as properly um, respecting rules of the WTO, not just to the letter, but in spirit, uh, such as um, preventing uh, uh, the products of uh, forced labor from, being, from coming into our, uh, our market, such as paying attention to how data is gathered from 
from a population that doesn't have a democratic view, uh, influence over what the state does with those data, and so on. And on all those things, not only do we agree with the United States, we have a conviction that only by acting together can we persuade China to change its ways. Um, but we Europeans will only do that to the limit of any armed kinetic uh, confrontation. First of all, because we don't have any capabilities, but secondly, because the European public would not permit us to do it. There is simply no appetite for confronting China in that way. Um, and um, uh, there is also the overwhelming uh, feeling in Europe that we cannot do uh, without a, uh, an important trading relationship with China, <coughs> which of course constrains uh, our behavior. Now, to be taken seriously as a geopolitical actor by either the United States or China, we would have to do um, a great deal, uh, starting with fulfilling what we have already pledged ourselves to do in the Lisbon Treaty that we um, are breaching almost every day. If you read articles, I think it's 25 and 26 of the Lisbon Treaty, Treaty of the European Union, we have pledged ourselves that uh, we would, from, from henceforth, present and argue for our national interests uh, uh, as regards third countries in the Foreign Affairs Council. We are not disinventing or overcoming the concept of national interest of the nation states, of the members, but they should be articulated and fought out and coordinated at the Foreign Affairs Council. And after we reach a consensus there, we, the treaty says we should loyally support the high representative in presenting our jointly agreed position to the rest of the world. But guess what? We are not doing it. We agree some policies, usually on second order issues. And then members, member states continue to pursue their own national policies in parallel, particularly the big boys who feel that they have a global uh, reach for historic reasons. And so there is a sort of lowest common denominator agreed EU policy on the one hand, and then a traditional parallel policy by the nation states. And what do we do? We are uh, nationalist politicians do what, what they always do in those situations. First, they, they paralyze the EU level, and then they complain that the EU is ineffective. If we are to be taken seriously, this has to stop. But this is not, this is by far not enough, of course. As the European Union, we are, I would say, constitutionally 
a confederation with some federal features, but also in their relationship with others. They will miss the fact that the Commission until recently represented them together with 400 million other Europeans uh, with the heft that, that gave the joint position. We are a superpower in that. We are also a regulatory superpower. But there are other areas where we are less than the sum of our national uh, ingredients. And those areas are exactly those which you need to be taken seriously by the outside world, which is to say the military dimension and the intelligence dimension. You know, if you're the foreign minister of a nation state, as I was, you can bring to bear the national resources of your state in relationship with other states in, um, in, in, in all the dimensions in which the cabinet of your country interacts with other countries. And of course, it's also the defense minister and it's also the security services. And if you don't have those, you are by definition less influential. Further, I would say, to be taken seriously, we would need to show that before we tackle far away um, issues, we need to be effective in our own neighborhood. Imagine a United States that can't even uh, manage its relationship with Mexico or Canada. This is exactly where we are. Uh, I was skeptical about the Libya operation, which has destabilized the country and we're still dealing with the consequences. But what I was, was alarmed by was that European countries on their own couldn't even do it. And they needed those uh, American tomahawks and they needed the, the, that American uh, ground surveillance and, and, and um, reconnaissance and intelligence to, to even deal with uh, Muammar Gaddafi. And um, Frontex is being upgraded, but it's not enough. And let me just finish by saying that we will know whether our leaders are serious about making Europe what Ursula von der Leyen calls uh, a geostrategic Europe by following the money. If you want to be serious in matters of security and defense, it's a very expensive business. As nation states of the EU, we spend about a third, in fact, of what the EU, US spends on defense, depending on how you count, between two and 300 billion euros per annum. It's a lot of money. But in the EU's proposed um, defense budget, the Commission proposed for the next seven-year uh, budgetary period, 13 billion euros for seven years, and this has now been cut by half as a result of the pandemic. And 40% of that money is on military mobility. So that, you know, 
troops and tanks could move around the continent, which is entirely compatible with nature. You cannot have a, the, a, a defensive posture on your, even just one perimeter, on the southern perimeter, for six or seven billion over uh, seven years, which is to say for one billion euros uh, uh, per annum. That is not serious. So in conclusion, let me say that I like the sound of the words that our leaders make. Strategic autonomy, uh, geopolitical commission. But I will believe that they're serious only once the member states start removing themselves from some of the issues that the EU should be doing by itself, and only once they allow the EU uh, to have a uh, defense budget worthy of its name. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by the IIEA, the Institute of International and European Affairs. Join the discussion on IIEA.com and access our engaging videos, blogs and podcasts.